This is Lindsay, nurse practitioner at Texas A&M Student Health. This is Clinical Pearls. Last week, we covered mycoplasma genitalium, an atypical STI, which is on the rise according to the CDC. More recently, we covered desquamative inflammatory vaginitis, an extreme form of vaginal irritation linked to an increase in inflammatory cells. Today, we will cover the most common type of vaginitis or vaginosis picture, and that's bacterial vaginosis. Thanks for being part of Clinical Pearls. Let's get started now. A link between homophilus vaginalis and abnormal vaginal discharge was first described back in 1955. Subsequently, H. vaginalis was renamed Gardnerella vaginalis, and the syndrome became known as nonspecific vaginitis. Then, the term anaerobic vaginosis came into play. Most recently, the condition has been called bacterial vaginosis. The search for a single etiological agent has continued to today. Most clinical investigators have concluded that bacterial vaginosis, or BV, is a polymicrobial disorder of the vaginal microbiome that's characterized by the absence of vaginal lactobacilli. BV is one of the most common vaginal ecosystem-related microbiological syndromes among women of childbearing age. The prevalence rates are in the range of 15% among pregnant women, 20-25% to among women seen at student health clinics, and up to 30-40% to among women who are seen at sexually transmitted disease clinics. Rates are generally higher in black and Hispanic women and lower in white and Asian populations. The reason for the large differences in prevalent rates according to race or ethnic group and geographic region are actually unknown. Now, despite advances in our understanding of bacterial vaginosis, it remains an enigmatic condition. But we do know that the natural history has showed that incident bacterial vaginosis is associated with that initial decrease in the abundance of lactobacillus crispatus and subsequent increase in the abundance of Provitella bivia, Gardnerella vaginalis, Atopium vaginae, and even Megasphera type of bacteria. These are all common anaerobes commonly found in bacterial vaginosis. Okay, here's some new terminology that's been applied to BV as the data grows. Biofilm. Bacterial vaginosis has been considered a biofilm infection with a dense polymicrobial biofilm consisting primarily of Gardnerella vaginalis adhering to the vaginal epithelium. Biofilm. That just sounds terrible, doesn't it? The vaginal biofilm appears to create a favorable anaerobic environment for other obligate anaerobic bacteria. An important finding related to upper genital tract complications is that half of women with BV also have a bacterial vaginosis-associated biofilm covering the endometrium. Again, that's about half have a biofilm in the endometrium from vaginal BV. So, this biofilm ascends to the endometrium and may explain the link among adverse pregnancy outcomes and adverse gin outcomes like PID and even 
increased access to other types of STIs. Although Gardnerella vaginalis gets the limelight regarding BV and its pathogenesis and is actually the target of certain tests like the BD Affirm card or the Vaginitis Panel 3, the VP3 test, there's actually other bacteria that have now come to light as being potential players in BV condition. For example, there is a link to Mycoplasma genitalium. That's right. The topic that we covered last week still applies to this one. Now, it's unclear whether Mycoplasma genitalium comes along for the ride, sets up shop first, or comes after the vagina changes its ecosystem by BV first taking hold. But nonetheless, we know that Mycoplasma genitalium and BV definitely have a relationship. This also relates to our more recent podcast on desquamative inflammatory vaginitis. Remember that both patients who have mycoplasma genitalium and desquamative inflammatory vaginitis come back with this, quote, recurrent BV style picture. So remember, you're as a clinical pearl, if your patient keeps coming back with BV-like syndromes unresponsive to medication, remember those two other conditions, the possibility of mycoplasma as a culprit or desquamative inflammatory vaginitis. Ladies and gentlemen, when we come back, let's do the clinical presentation before we get into treatment of this condition. Bacterial vaginosis is characterized clinically by a milky, homogeneous, malodorous vaginal discharge that causes vulvovaginal discomfort and vulvar irritation. The disorder is also characterized by the absence of clinically significant vaginal inflammation, as indicated by the absence of PMNs. Remember, we highlighted the fact that significant PMN presence on wet prep could signal desquamative inflammatory vaginitis. Bacterial vaginosis odor is typically a fishy smell that is a positive whiff test after the addition of one drop of potassium hydroxide to vaginal discharge on a glass slide. This smell is caused by the release of organic acids or polyamines on alkalinization of vaginal fluid. These are byproducts of anaerobic bacterial metabolism. This also explains why the amine-like odor can be released within a course since vaginal lubrication or semen are both basic. Now, it's difficult to determine whether BV is an STI or not. A systematic review of randomized trials of treatment for male sex partners to prevent recurrent BV in women showed that none of the trials had sufficient power to determine the role of male partner treatment to prevent recurrence in the female. Another review concluded that, compared to placebo, antibiotic treatment for sexual partners of women treated for BV actually had no effect on the rates of clinical or symptomatic improvement among the women that were deemed recurrent carriers. However, there are definitely several findings consistent between a strong association between BV and sexual history. So, as of right now, there is some confounding going on and it's unclear to what extent 
STDBV is. However, we do know that there's definite association, and although not proven by consensus, some do agree that there is value in treating the male, especially if they're uncircumcised, in women who have recurrent diagnostic test proven bacterial vaginosis. As far as diagnosis, there's three general ways to make the diagnosis of BV. One involves gram staining, which is more labor-intensive and requires strict adherence to diagnostic laboratory criteria. That's called Nugent's criteria, and that's really only used more in research-style labs rather than true clinical practice. Most use AMSL's criteria, which is a clinical diagnosis. According to AMSL's criteria, three of the four should be met for a clinical diagnosis of BV. The first is a basic pH, but honestly, any pH greater than 4.5 qualifies as basic for the vagina. The second is the presence of more than 20% cocobacillary-covered cells called clue cells on wet smear. The third is a homogeneous non frothy, milky white discharge, and the last that we've already covered is a positive KOH with test or the clinical presence of vaginal odor on exam. Okay, so there's Nugent's criteria, Amsel's criteria, and the third way is a DNA sequence test of hybridization called the BD affirmed test or the vaginitis panel 3 test. However, this test, although it uses DNA sequences to hybridize with certain nucleic acid portions of the pathogen, it only checks for Gardnerella. Remember, we now know that there may be a link to BV and other pathogens, specifically mycoplasma, and that's not checked with a BD Affirm test. Now, before we get into the final portion, which is treatment, we have to say something about the potential implications outside of gynecology for BV, and that has to do with obstetrics. Several studies have assessed the value of screening for and treating BV in the prevention of preterm birth, but the results have been highly variable, and antimicrobial treatment of BV in pregnancy does not universally reduce adverse pregnancy outcomes. Now, there is some data that treatment of BV in early pregnancy, that's the first 20 weeks, may be more effective in preventing preterm birth than treatment later in pregnancy. So you can see how there is some benefit, but it isn't consistent among the studies. Now that we've covered that, it would be a disservice to go right into treatment without mentioning the biggest implication for health, which is the link to HIV infection. Okay, so here it is. BV is associated with not only the acquisition, but also the transmission of other STIs, especially HIV. Here's the scary part. BV-associated vaginal microbiome also inactivates the topical microbicide tenofovir, which is used for the prevention of HIV transmission. And it's not only HIV. Chlamydia trachomatis infection is strongly associated with BV. Here's that pathophysiology. 
chlamydia-associated cervicitis increases the amount of cervical secretions. This increases, in turn, may change the vaginal ecosystem, favoring the growth of anaerobic microorganisms, leading to the biofilm previously discussed. So it's kind of circle of life, STI spin, if you will. That's why we can't ignore BV as a potential for future health complications. All right, let's bring this to the close with a quick review of the CDC recommended and alternative treatments for BV. For the recommended treatments, of course, there's oral metronidazole at 500 milligrams BID for seven days. Metronidazone at 0.75 gel, one applicator intravaginally once a day for five days is also on the list. Wrapping up, the recommended treatments is clindamycin 2% cream, one applicator intravaginally at bedtime, but that's for seven days. As alternative treatments, tinidazole or Tindamax can be used at 2 grams orally once a day for two days or 1 gram orally once a day for five. Clindamycin can also be taken twice a day orally for seven days at 300 milligrams, or clindamycin vaginal ovules at 100 milligrams can be used at bedtime for three days. The most recent FDA-approved medication for BV is secnidazole at 2 grams. This is a single packet of granules. The instructions are to sprinkle the entire contents of the packet into applesauce, yogurt, or even pudding. All of the mixture should be consumed within 30 minutes. Now, because it's still new, it may not be in a lot of insurance coverage, and it's still expensive, but we can't forget that secnidazole at 2 grams single dose is approved for BV. Well, that brings us to a wrap. Thanks for listening to this episode on bacterial vaginosis, and thanks for being part of the Clinical Pearls podcast family. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.